What is up, everyone? My name is Danny, and this is the It Makes Sense podcast. Here at It Makes Sense, we address why the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes the most sense out of life in the universe. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the It Makes Sense podcast. Today, we are going to discuss the question, does good and evil exist? Now, we're going to work this from a an angle today, and then our next episode, we're going to do it from another angle. But we're going to talk about the idea of good and evil existing from the problem with evil. Now, I know it's sort of a backdoor way of trying to come in and, and discuss this, but there's a reason for it because when we talk this week, this week we sort of going to talk about the problem with evil. Next week is going to be what would life be like without God, and, and it'll bring in this idea of good and evil too. So, if you're a Christian, I'm surely would believe that you're going to say, yes, there is good and evil. But I think a lot of atheists, a lot of agnostics, uh, people in other religions, there are very few people that would say good and evil do not exist. Now, they may they may make the, the stipulation, well, good and evil is relative, and it depends on who you are, if good, uh, what is good or what is evil. So you're, you're going to have different answers with that. But I think as a general consensus, most people say good and evil do exist. And I think even so, there's mostly uh, an, an idea or an acceptance that there's an objective good and an, an objective evil. All right, so here's a, here's a few thoughts here. Free will exists. The potential for good and evil exists. Without free will, good and evil cannot exist. Evolution cannot create free will. God only can create free will, therefore God exists. All right, let me say that again. Free will exists. The potential for good and evil exists. Without free will, good and evil cannot exist. Evolution cannot create free will. God only can create free will, therefore God exists. Okay, so we're going to take that, and we'll come back to that here in a minute. But let's start with the logical argument. Now, from an atheist standpoint, the logical argument is this. Premise one is if an omnipotent, which is all-powerful, omnibenevolent, which is all-good, and omniscient, which is all-knowing, God, exists, then evil does not exist. Premise two, there is evil in the world. Therefore, the conclusion, therefore, an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and omniscient God does not exist. So let me say that again. If an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing God exists, then evil does not exist. There, there is evil in the world, though. Therefore, an, an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God does not exist. All right. I'm going to expand this out. We're going to bring in some sub-points with this to sort of specify it a little bit more. So let's try. Premise 1A, God exists. Okay. Premise 1B, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good. Premise 1C, an all-powerful being has the power to prevent that evil from coming into existence. Then premise 1D, an all-good being would want to prevent all evils. And then premise 1E, an all-knowing being knows every way in which evil can come into existence and knows every way in which those evils could be protected. Prevented, and then premise one F: a being who knows every way in which an evil can come into existence, who is able to prevent that evil from coming into existence, and who wants to do so would prevent the existence of that evil. 
So premise one, if there exists an all-powerful, all-good, and all-knowing God, then no evil exists. Premise two, evil exists. Now, let's look at this a response to this, and one that I'm just going to bring up very simply, because I don't want the show, we could go on for days with this, but Alvin Plantinga's free will defense is a really good defense. Now, this isn't a def- it's not to prove God's existence, but it's to defend God's existence based on the problem of evil, okay? It is a logical refutation okay, of the logical argument. So we're taking logic and using it against the logic that we're being presented with from the atheist standpoint. It defends that moral good cannot exist without free will. Hence, no God, no free will. Free will exists. The potential for good and evil exists. So therefore, because free will exists, there's a potential for a person to make a morally good choice and an immoral bad choice, all right? Without free will, good and evil cannot exist. If you take away free will, then good and evil cease to not only just not to be an option or the potential of, but it won't exist at all. Evolution cannot create free will. So it's the idea of taking a a deck of cards, uh, of 52 cards, throwing that up in the air, and then it landing on the ground and all 52 cards build a house just from throwing it up in the air, okay? It's, Im- I'm just going to say it, it's impossible. It's not going to happen, okay? It's, all, it's like, again, taking a watch, a, a completely deconstructed watch, all its parts on a table, and you take it and you take one corner, somebody else takes another corner, somebody takes it to the other corner, and then you take the other corner of this towel that this watch is sitting on, all its parts broken apart, laying there separately, and then taking each corner and flopping it in the air, and then all those parts landing on that towel again, first of all. Second of all, landing on the towel as a watch. That's what we're, that's what atheists, that's what naturalists are proposing happen with our universe. So let me go back to that. If it's accidental and came from nothing, which let's just assume that, that let's, ponder and imagine. You have to really use your imagination. It takes a lot of faith to believe it, but let's just say it happened. Evolution cannot create free will. There's nothing there that's going to allow us to have this option or this ability to make a choice. And not only that, there's no reason for the survivability of the human race for morality to exist. There's no reason for good and evil to exist, okay? So you get evolution cannot create free will. You got God only can create free will. Then you have God exists. The free will defense is saying basically because God gave us free will, we have a potential to to do evil. There's also potential to do good. That's not saying God created evil. And there's that statement. There's that accusation that some people say God created evil. No, God did not create evil. He created human beings with free will. So we could have a choice to love him or reject him because otherwise it's not love. Love is a choice. Love requires us to be able to choose to love our spouse or to love our kids, okay, or to love God. We can choose not to. We see it all the time. People choose to reject God. People choose to reject their children or reject their spouse and they get divorces or sometimes do worse than that. But free will is required for us to have because otherwise we are robots and it would not even be in our vocabulary. So when we're looking at the logical argument, the logical response easily refutes this. And a lot of people are sort of backing away from this. It's this, it's also this idea when somebody, and I had this conversation with somebody on Facebook the other day, 
that if you can't get rid of evil, then you're not all powerful. And if you're all good, you would want to get rid of evil. But that's not that's not necessarily true. He wants evil to be abolished. He doesn't want anybody to practice evil. But at the same time, he's not forcing anybody. He is all good. And, and to, to love him requires this blood sacrifice. And I had a conversation with somebody about that blood, blood sacrifice. And it's probably a show that I'm going to do in the future talking about whether or not the blood sacrifice was, was necessary. But because God is good, he required that there needed to be something to happen in order for his creation, who has this ability to reject him and did, Adam and Eve rejected him, which created this separation. Because before that, they were there was no separation between man and God. Before the fall, before they chose to eat from the fruit, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Okay, so there it is right there, the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't have that knowledge of good and evil because they lived in perfect harmony with God. That free will of, of potential existed in them, though. That's the, it's, it's amazing, really, to think about God, the creator of the universe. Not only did we sin and reject God, but he loves us so much that he's provided a way back to him. People want to make God sound bad and evil and judgmental and impersonal. But we're talking about the creator of the universe who could have just said, okay, you rejected me. Fine. And at that point, everybody would have rejected him. And he could have just let that be. He, he didn't have to create an, a, a plan and lay this plan out and put it into, into place and give us this opportunity to come back to him. But that's what shows that he's all good because that's what he wants. He wants there to be that redemption and that reconciliation back to him because he created us to want to be with him. And there's so many people, I think, that in that want don't realize that it's this longing for God. And so they replace it with all these other things and addictions and, and drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. But there's this inherent want in us for something. We're all yearning for something. And we will either find God and have that yearning fulfilled or we'll seek out other things and that yearning will never be fulfilled, but we're always seeking it out, trying to fill it, right? But God's like, look, I'm going to allow you to make a choice. I love you. And I'm going to prove that to you by saying, this is the option you have to choose me or reject me. I'm going to give you this rule. Don't eat from that tree. Adam ate from the tree. Okay, now you've rejected my, my rule. You've rejected my laws. You rejected me. And because you rejected me and you have this knowledge of good and evil now, now you know how much of a sinner you are and, and this ability and this potential you have to do evil, to do the opposite of what I'm calling you to do, which is good. And so all this time, God's been trying, well, not trying, but God's put this plan in place for us to come back to him. And the logical argument is telling us that free will is, is giving us this potential to do evil, while God at the same time being the all good God has also given us a way back to him. But it is still a choice. We can't act like we don't have a choice in this situation. And the Bible is very clear. People will choose him and reject him. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in this full predestination of you, 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 you have this compelling by the Spirit of God that's going to compel you and you have no choice. No, I don't believe in that. And I don't think Scripture supports that. I believe that there is predestination to some degree and there is also this uh, free will that we have. 
Ultimately, though, we don't know what the end result is other than what the Bible tells us as far as revelation goes. But we don't know the end result for our life. We don't know who's chosen. So if, if we want to walk around and believe that everybody's predestined and, and is just a robot and they're doing what they're doing without free will, then what's the point of all of this? In my opinion, I, that's what I asked the Calvinists. What is the point of all this? Well, it's all for God's glory. What glory does he derive from pre-planning everything down to the, the decision that a person's making if he's compelling them and that they can't turn away from it? They can't reject him. He's, in my opinion, forcing us, but he's not. And that's the beauty of it is this idea that Plantinga has shown us to say, hey, free will exists. And with free will, there's the potential to do evil. And if you want to take away free will by saying, well, evil exists, therefore God doesn't exist, because if God existed, he would, he would be powerful enough to get rid of it. He's all good, so he'd want to get rid of it. And he's all-knowing, so he'd know how to get rid of it. That's true, but you're also taking away free will, which means there is no need for good or evil. So which is it? You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You can't say evil exists and God doesn't exist. Well, no, because if God didn't exist, which we'll get into the next episode, then evil wouldn't exist because free will wouldn't exist. Robots are told what to do. We don't have an option in that. But I think it's pretty clear to everybody that we do and make choices. All right, so that's a logical argument. We'll get into that a little bit more with the absurdity of life without God next next episode. But I want to move on to the evidential problem uh, with evil. And uh, there is this this argument that atheists will make from the evidential standpoint. Their, their assumption is there isn't enough evidence that God exists. Okay, and William Rowe, he came up with this version. And his first premise says there exist instances of intense suffering which an omnipotent, omniscient being could have prevented without thereby losing some greater good or permitting some evil equally bad or worse. An all-knowing God, holy good being, would prevent the occurrence of any intense suffering it could, unless it could not do so without thereby losing some greater good or permitting some evil equally bad or worse. Therefore, there does not exist an omnipotent, omniscient, holy good being. So it's a probability question, more or less, and, and it's saying there's probably better evidence to say that because we see these events happening with suffering, that God doesn't exist. And we'll talk about the personal suffering when we talk about the existential argument, which is even harder to, to argue. But with this one, and let me add one more version of that too. With William Rowe, though, what he's saying is in the first premise, there exist instances of intense suffering. Yes, I agree with that. There definitely are. But he's, he wants to add to that that an all-powerful, all-knowing being could have prevented without thereby losing some greater good. Now, maybe God could have intervened. I, I agree with that. And he could have done that if it was according to his plan. But the suffering itself existing has nothing to do with God creating that or, or implementing that. It has all to do with us rejecting God, ultimately with sin. And you can discuss natural evil and how sin permeated and just corrupted the entire system altogether that God created. But William Rowe is sitting here saying, well, there, there, is an, there was an opportunity, is an opportunity for him to have prevented this. And, and there also is an opportunity for him allowing some evil to, to happen. And then he says an all-knowing and a holy good being would have prevented the occurrence of any intense suffering it could. 
unless it could not do so without thereby losing some greater good or permitting some evil equally bad or worse. So Paul Draper, he comes out with his own. He says, gratuitous evil exists. The hypothesis of indifference, for example, that if there are supernatural beings, they are indifferent to gratuitous evils is a better explanation for than theism, uh, the explanation theism would provide. Therefore, evidence prefers that no God, as commonly understood by theists, exists. So, this idea of indifference, meaning that the, the supernatural being just doesn't care, and therefore he just doesn't want to do anything about these evils, that would, then that would sort of cancel out this idea of being all good, which means, obviously, God must not exist. Now, when we're looking at the evidence, an, an, an evidential problem with evil... You can go back to the free will defense, and you can you can use that here logically as well. But the evidence that there there is that surrounds between the existence of God with the moral argument, with creation evolution argument, um, you've got just consciousness itself. There is the problem of evil argument. Um, you don't take one. You can't just argue the problem of evil and just say, okay, this proves that God exists because evil exists. Because there's other things in there that you have to sort of discuss. You take all the arguments and bring them together. It's the totality of the arguments because what you want to provide is not just one side of it because one argument may be good, but there may be one that's not as good. But when you take all of them, put them together, and you look at the evidence that's there as compared to the evidence against God's existence, it's overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. Um, I, we we could do... Um, well, we've always talked. We always talk about various arguments here for the existence of God and, and and other things for for God, but there's there's not one that is just going to prove God exists. Okay, and and let's also be very clear: evidence is one thing, but just on evidence alone, we don't want to just say we accept God because the evidence is greater. But there's also the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is really what it boils down to when the evidence is presented to a person. They also have a choice to reject or to accept that evidence. And there are people that see the evidence plain as day, and they will even admit that the evidence is really, really compelling that for God. However, um, they still deny it, and they still choose not to believe in God. And and that just boils down to us as human beings and our our fallibility, our sinfulness, our pride, um, our unwillingness to give in and to give over to God what we know we should. All right, then there's existential argument from evil. This one's more, this is person to person. This is a personal thing. And, then, and the argument here is that I experience suffering, therefore God must not exist because I'm suffering, God doesn't care. And if God's good, then then he doesn't exist or he's, he's just made up. And, and this is where a lot of people will say humans make up God and create God as either a crutch or as a support for them when they're going through hard times. And I would argue this, that if you got one person over here who says, I'm suffering, therefore God must not exist. And then you got another person over here who says, well, I'm suffering and I'm going to run to God because I need him right now and I believe he exists, therefore his existence is going to help me get through my suffering. It's hard for this person here that's suffering to, to reject God to objectively say that God doesn't exist. I would say it's equally hard for the person who says he does exist because he's suffering. Is It's hard for him to objectively say that because both of them, in a sense, cancel each other out. 
But that's where the amount of evidence comes in. And then this is also where we can go back to the uh, logical argument or the logical response of the free will defense. The existential one is a a little bit harder, but I think Job, the story of Job, when you look at it in the Bible, it teaches us about this because Job suffered greatly, and Job could have very easily rejected God. But the story of Job teaches us a few things. So number one, it teaches us that we have to have a vision of God. If we don't have a vision of God and an accurate one, and where can we get that at? The Bible, which gives us a great vision. Look, if even if you don't believe God exists, but you want to have a good, accurate picture of what Christians think God is, you need to read the Bible. And you don't have to accept it, but read it. Okay, this is what the Bible says about supposedly God telling us who he is. And this vision that Christians have of God helps us to understand that he is omnipotent, that he is omniscient, that he is omnibenevolent, all right, that he is omnipresent, and that he's all these things, but yet at the same time, he's given this this awesome, beautiful gift because he does love us to come back to him because we're the depraved ones. We're the ones that are evil and we're the ones that, that make the suffer that a lot of times make the suffering happen to ourselves um, or we make the bad choices. We do the evil things. We reject him. I mean, we're rejecting our creator, right? It's like saying, I'm going to reject my mom and dad, even though they're wonderful, great, beautiful people. They brought me into this world, but I'm going to reject them just because I just want to, because I just don't want to believe they exist. And that's not how it works. So we need to have a vision of God. If we have a good vision of God, even if we're an atheist and we've read the Bible at least and we've got a vision there, at least there's something to go off of. Understand that God is taking you through deep waters. So with a good vision of God, we can have a good understanding of what it is we're going through, at least in terms of knowing God's taking us through this. And when, when I say taking us through this, the Bible is very clear that he's walking through it with us, right? Um, we, we, that's the, and that's going to the third point, knowing God is with us through it all. You know, there's the footprints, um, poem that you can read that, that there's one set of footprints and that's when God carried you. Um, but we can also look at that God was a suffering God as well. When Jesus came, he suffered. He didn't just live this wonderful, perfect, beautiful life. He went through terrible suffering. And we know that the disciples after him also went through terrible suffering, and they did this suffering willingly, not for a lie. They saw the resurrected Jesus. If they did not see the resurrected Jesus and, and, and they made this whole thing up, there's no way they would have died for a lie. But they did die, and they died for the cause of Jesus, which is quite clear they did not die for a lie. A terrorist who flies a plane into a, a building is doing it because he believes, but he would not do that if he believed, knew for sure that it was a lie. These people saw Jesus. They were firm believers, and they, this was truth to them. So they went to their graves. There was no other way. And some of them died some pretty nasty deaths. There was no way they would have rejected God because why would they reject the truth? They knew what, the, they, knew what they saw. And because they knew what they saw, they were going to go to their grave with this. If they didn't see Jesus and they had made this whole story up, there's no way they would have done all these things that they did and then die for that cause. Number four, understand the God who is allowing your suffering, who had guts to take his own medicine, and that's what I was just talking about with Jesus. Number five, from Dorothy Sayers, he had a son who suffered and died, which I also just mentioned. The larger our understanding of God, the more resources we'll have to get 
will have to get through the evil we face. And that is very true. There's, you've got uh, other Christians that you can lean on. You've got God's word that you can lean on. You have prayer that you can lean on, fasting that you can lean on, worship and singing and praying. Uh, I just said praying. Worship and singing in uh, solitude. Uh, there's a lot of Christian disciplines that are our resources, but ultimately it all comes back to God's word. In his word, he tells us who he is, and the promises are there. He keeps his promises, and we can stand on those promises, and that's how we can get through the suffering or the evil that's done to us or the evil that we're going through. All right, number seven, philosophical understanding may seem very thin in such times. Sometimes just leaning on thought can seem very thin for us. Um, Sometimes somebody coming up to you and trying to uh, think this way through and just say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you a good reason from a philosophical you know, uh, standpoint, doesn't mean that it's going to help. But that's where we have to find in God's word uh, the comforting verses and, and, the, and the comforting promises he makes and says that he will be there with us through everything, through thick and thin, through all. Even when we may not feel his presence there, he is there. He's, he will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. C.S. Lewis is, the, is number eight, and, the, and it brings this up. The Problem of Pain, if you've not read this book, it's a great book. Uh, it's talking about, he's actually wrote this book because it, his wife has passed away from cancer. It's called The Problem of Pain, A Grief Observed. And he asked these questions, where is God when it hurts? He asked, why so very absent? He was struggling deeply with this pain that he was going through and the suffering that he was going through. Uh, from the passing of his wife. But he came out of all of it understanding God in a much deeper way in who he is, in the love that God had for him. He grew in his faith. Now, for a person to grow in their faith, they have to know God, obviously. But for an unbeliever, can you also suffer and find God in that? Absolutely. I think oftentimes in our suffering, it's how we want to, how do we want to respond? Do we want to respond in our suffering to be the victim, which often keeps us from seeing that the Holy Spirit's working on us and is trying to get our attention? Or do we want to look at it as in, I can take this suffering and turn it around? There are so many stories of unbelievers that have turned their their suffering into victory, okay? They still didn't become a Christian out of it, and, and, and I'm not trying to make a... Um, an argument to say, hey, you can still go through suffering but not be a Christian because ultimately what's the end uh, that you're, you're destined for? Is it hell or is it heaven? That's, that's, that's the bigger picture of this, okay? So don't, don't misunderstand me what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, though, is because of our response to suffering, that's what's going to direct us towards God or away from God. And so when, when C.S. Lewis lost his wife and he went through this pain and went through suffering, he wrote this book out, he's writing it out, and he's saying, I found God because I turned to him because I realized that I could I could be a victim in this and just wallow in my suffering and, and probably never come out and be bitter, be angry. Um, I have seen people in my life literally die from bitterness. Or I can take the suffering and I can turn it around and I can make it a positive in my life and I can walk through this. And then, oh, Holy Spirit, he's there. He's showing me. He opens my eyes. I understand now that why this suffering is happening to me. I need to go to God with this and because he's the one that's going to pull me through this. He's the one that's going to show me why I'm going through this. But a world with God, 
takes this idea of suffering because there's something beyond a physical level. There's something in a in a deeper, more uh, spiritual level that we experience when we go through suffering. And that suffering connects us to God. We can also have it disconnect us from God, but again, I want to say it goes back to how we how we respond. Philosophy helps answer the the atheist, and I would agree with that. Where theology helps answer our hearts and our friends, so philosophy is one of the things that you can do as a non Christian. I believe it's from God. I believe that God gave us these minds to think and just think about the the larger questions and the the universal questions and the particular questions. You know, He's just given us this mind to really think. This is what separates us. Us asking the question why separates us from every other creation, every animal in the in the universe, in the world, wherever. We ask why because we're humans and we are made in God's image. We have this brain that that looks at things in a much different way, and we want to know the whys of things. And philosophy is one of those things that you can do as a Christian or as not a Christian, all right? But that means that the fingerprint of God is on you. Because God exists, his His fingerprint's on his artwork, right? You are created in his image, so he's sig- he signed you essentially, with these attributes of uh, joy and happiness and sadness and emotions and and why do I ask these questions of why and what's my purpose? And, you know, these these are marked, you're marked by an intelligent being that created you. And so he's signed his name on you, whether you want to admit that or not. And that that's the crazy thing is, is that he signed his name on you, but then you reject him and he still gives you what you want, which is eternity without him, which is hell but those that have been signed that realize that they have been it's like looking at um toy story i love toy story josh and you know andy and he's got uh, not andy um woody thank you woody's got andy's name on the bottom of his shoe right on his boot and that's because andy marked him and and if you notice through all the toy story movies woody is is devoted holy and committed to Andy and always getting back to him, you know, and even when we get to the last one, when it's really sad and Andy gives him away, you know, sorry, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, but he's marked by Andy and we are marked by God. In my opinion, and I, maybe somebody might disagree, but understand what I'm saying here. We are all his creation. His fingerprint is on us, regardless of whether we believe in him or not. It's like saying you can believe in gravity or you can reject gravity, but gravity still exists. So you can believe in God or you can reject God, but you are his creation. All of us, Christian and not Christian, were made in his image. So we've been marked by him, but you want to be marked further by him by the presence of the Holy Spirit being in you when you accept Jesus Christ and you move into that fulfilled place in your spirit where he's redeemed you back to a relationship with him because of Adam and that rejection long ago, we're now redeemed and back in relation with him when we accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, when we accept Jesus' resurrection from the grave, when we accept these things, then we are fulfilling that mark that's on us, okay? So philosophy is going to be one of the things that can help the atheist because he can think those things. He can philosophize. He can sit there and think about the big universal questions and sort of get answers to his suffering, in that regard, but it's theology that really digs deep. Theology, that knowledge of God that we have, that knowledge that we have of him when we're in his word, when he's laying out for us through this specific revelation of who he is, 
laying this out to us and saying, hey, I am the creator. I am your creator, and I created you because I love you, and I gave you the opportunity and the, and the choice to choose me or reject me because I love you. And I, I, when you reject me, I've given you now also a road back to me through my son Jesus, who also suffered here, and he suffered for you. Even those who rejected him, he suffered for them because that gift that, that we all have the choice to receive or reject, the gift of salvation through his sacrifice, his, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave, that gift he's freely given. And we don't have to do anything because it's there. It's like right there. He's like holding out for us. He's not going to just pull it back when we reach out for it. He's not this cruel dad, you know, like I do with my kids sometimes when I may be playing around with them, you know. Um, but he's not like that. He's like, here's that gift. Take it. Please, please take it. I want you to have it. And then here we are like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I don't, I, don't, I don't need that. I don't need you. Matter of fact, I'm just going to wipe you from my mind, which is impossible. I don't even think the most staunch atheist in the history of the world could ever erase God from this. Matter of fact, when you start to proclaim that you're an atheist, I think the only thing you ever think about is God because you're constantly trying to wipe him from your mind. You're constantly arguing that he doesn't exist. Why does it matter for an atheist to argue he doesn't exist when he just doesn't believe he exists? Why are atheists so evangelical about their beliefs to tell everybody else? There's, there's, there's a... There's a sermon in there. There's a teaching in there. Why do they care so much? Because if God doesn't exist, we shouldn't care at all. We shouldn't want to even have God in our vocabulary. He should not be words that come out of our mouth. I, I just find that amazing. So theology, that knowledge of God, helps our hearts and, and, and it answers our hearts, it answers our friends. It's something that we as, as Christians, we can take God's word and we can use it as comfort for ourselves. We can use it as comfort for our friends. Remind them that when they feel all hope is lost, that there's these promises from God that he's there for them. And that he, he's there for them here and now and in, in the afterlife as well. Wants them to be with him for all eternity. So Job, Job's story is pretty powerful if you really, it's one of my favorite books. If you've not read the book of Job, it's, it's, um, it may start right right off the bat. You may just start having this question, like, why would God allow Satan to do all this to a, a, a guy that he says is pretty upstanding fella and, and is pretty obedient to him? But God's ways are higher than our ways. He allowed the suffering for a reason. And in the end, Job came closer to God. I, I mean, actually, God has a conversation. I, I couldn't imagine Job being that guy that's like, Oh, wow. Like, I just got done listening to my idiot friends who were completely off base and wrong. But here, here I am still struggling, right, Josh? And then the voice of God, boom, you know, and then God just goes off like, am I not the God who created this? Am I not the God who created the Leviathan? Am I not the God who, who created the behemoth? Am I not the God who, who does this with the weather and the planets and the sun and all these things. And Job, you know, can't you just see him like if he was a turtle, just sinking into his turtle shell, right? Because he's part of the Turtle Club. Another movie. You may not know that one. It's not as popular, but it's still funny. <laughs> um, so 
God has this verbal conversation with Job. And yeah, you know, I would love to, I don't know, maybe I don't, maybe I'd be really, really scared. I might even pee my pants a little bit if I heard the voice of God. But to know that God came and and promised, he held his promises that he's told us. He did the same thing with Job. He, He revealed to him who he was. He reminded him of his promises. And he took care of him in the end. Suffering doesn't necessarily mean God doesn't exist. It more than anything means we need to run to him. So here in conclusion, let me let me just sort of finish with these things. So number one, God is a good God. That's that is something that, that can be debated. I get it. You know, uh, even even Christians will debate the God of the Old Testament was not a good God. He was a judgmental God. Uh, and that for some reason in the New Testament, he's a, he's a different kind of God. But God is a good God. If you read the entire word of God from front to back, especially in Judges, <laughs> in Kings, in Chronicles, and a lot of places in the Old Testament, and a lot of the prophets, you see how stupid, I hate that word sometimes, but that's, that is just what human beings are sometimes and how selfish we're in any in what is blows my mind is that you had the pillar of fire by night and the ark of the covenant and the cloud by day right following the israelites around like this was god this was the presence of god with them and they're still being disobedient still rejecting him they saw the red sea split in half Okay, these are miraculous events. I've never seen anything like that before. Now, I, I did talk not too long ago about some miraculous things that happened that I know was God, but I've never had the presence of God with me at all times, you know, as a constant reminder, and then still yet turn around. And maybe, I'm not saying I wouldn't be that person. I'm not saying I wouldn't. But it just goes to show how selfish and prideful we are. And when you look at the Old Testament and you look at all the things it says over and over again in Judges, another one of my favorite books because it's more or less the story of my life at times, they did write what was in their own eyes. And they brought judgment on themselves. They were the kingdom that God was separating, the the nation that God was separating from all other nations. And he had promises laid out for them. And they rejected all that. No, I'm telling you, you read Judges and you'll hear how good and how patient God is. Extremely, extremely patient. We're talking about warning his children hundreds of years in advance through the prophets. Hey, 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 you keep down this road, you keep down this path, eventually it's going to bite you in the butt. And it did. It absolutely did. Number two, he did not need evil to exist in order for his goodness to be good when a person says we're good-natured, there is no way we are good-natured. No way. There is evil in the world, and a good-natured being is going to do naturally good all the time. God is good-natured. Now, you may say, Danny, well, then the evidence, though, then we're sinful-natured. Well, then that means God is sinful. No, 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 no. Again, let me go back to free will. We have the potential to sin. We had a good God who created us. 
He allowed us to have this potential to sin and to do good. We reject him constantly. Adam rejected him in the beginning, which gave us this, this original sin and passed it down to us. And then on a daily basis, we reject God. We're selfish. We're prideful. We do our own thing. The reason why we can do good is because God exists. Number three, he did not need to create at all, nor did he need people. Understand that. God does not need us. Now, don't think that that's something to say, well, gee, thanks, Danny. No, God did not need us because he was fully joyful, complete, and whole in the relationship of the Trinity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He chose to create us. So let's let's not get it twisted that he needs us. He does not need us. And I'm okay with that. That just shows me how wholly independent he is from me and how much he loves me because he chose to create me. Number four, he freely made a decision to create and decided to gift creation with freedom, thereby to receive greater glory from it. And this is where this choice of worlds he could have made. He could have made a universe with nothing but robots. He chose to create us and gave us that freedom. And when he gave us that freedom, that that in turn gives us the moral obligation to want to follow him and do good and be more like him. That's the best world for us. That's a beautiful world. We can, we can harp on all the evil in the world all day long, but there's a lot of beauty in the world too. And sometimes I think we should really focus on that because if you turn on the news any day now, I mean, every single day there's somebody shooting somebody, somebody beating somebody, somebody robbing somebody, somebody stealing from somebody. I mean, it's just, ugh, it's exhausting. But that's what we're seeing on the news. But then you can walk outside. You can see neighbors talking to each other. You can see, I know, I know several football players that go to you know, senior living um, facilities and, and help out the uh, elderly while they're there and doing things for them. Or they go to elementary schools and they read stories to the kids while they're, while they're there. I mean, these are, these are things that are beautiful, that we see that are good um, that we need to put more focus on, to be honest with you. But we can't ignore evil because we know Satan exists and, and he's the epitome of, of evil. Five, number five, he also made possible suffering and evil. He did not make them, but made them possible. I think I've, I think I've beat that one quite a bit. Number six, does existence of suffering and evil count against God's existence or the existence of God? And yes, it, it, it can. All right, but... But, because there are arguments, I mean, let's not just say there's no arguments against the existence of, uh, of God. There are. And, and somebody may say that suffering is, that, that's what pushes them over the limit, and that's what pushes them away from God. So, yes, it can count on an individual level for somebody to say, I'm, I'm suffering, and I'm suffering, and I, you know, I just I lost my, 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 my boy of seven years old. He had cancer, and he died. And I don't see how God could exist because if he does allow that, that's not a God that I want to believe in. I understand that. And I see how that counts as uh, towards God's lack of existence or lack of love. But that's, that's, that's not the way. And, you know, it's sensitive. That's not the way we need to approach that. There's so much, so much that we could pull out of a situation that's so so horrendous or horrific and one where we do suffer a lot 
there's always something on the positive that we can gain from that. Or, or think about this, that we can help somebody else with. Because there are other people that have lost their children that are struggling even greater than you. And there's somebody out there that, that needs your kind word or a word of encouragement to say, I got through this, you can too. God helped me get through this. I turned to God in this. Well, I'm not going to. No, you don't understand. But these are his promises. And when I stood on those promises, he came through. Positive arguments for God's existence together with defenses and rebuttals. We can offer for arguments from evil are such that we can have great confidence that God exists. The, the culmination of all of it. And evil can be successfully dealt with philosophically and with using Christianity's theological resources. And the last one, as our understanding of God grows, so will certainty of that conclusion. I hope you guys tune in for next week because I think next week is going to be really cool. You're going to really start to say, I really want to get you to think, what is life like? What could life like be without God? And then you're going to go, well, life isn't like that, Danny. And then I'm going to go, you're right. So therefore, God must exist. But we're going to get into it. We're going to really break it down. I appreciate you folks just hanging out with me today. Uh, again, you know, find us on YouTube, Rumble, uh, where you listen to all your audio podcasts, and we'll be there. Uh, click like, quick, click follow, leave a, a comment, a review, uh, share with somebody else our podcast, and uh, help us to get better and, and ask some questions, help us to to dig deep and, and, and just hone our skills and what we're trying to do here and get this message out that the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes sense out of our world, our culture, our society today. God bless.